Good jobs, quality jobs. We still have so much to do for women's rights. For the parents to go to work, you need good childcare. We will not have a successful recovery if we leave social rights. Reinventing our way of building and living. It is our right. Hello and welcome to this edition of Eurofan Talks Housing. The spiraling housing costs and the lack of availability of affordable housing is causing anxiety and upset across the EU. People are worried that they're going to lose their accommodation. Younger people are also obliged to stay longer at home where that is possible. Uh, so today we want to talk about the housing situation in Europe. Eurofant has just produced a report on uh, affordable and accessible uh, inadequate housing. And we are looking at the different situations across the European Union and access points, different age groups, how different people are, are impacted. And the research manager who has been driving this work is Hans Dubois. He's a senior research manager here at Eurofant. And today I'd like to welcome you, Hans. Thank you. So Hans, it's something which is really affecting so many people, so many young people, so many older people. If you could just, keeping that in mind that we are talking about people and not necessarily people rather than the problem, can you just uh, give us an idea of what are the, some, uh, some of the main challenges that we would face when we look at, at the housing situation across Europe today? Well, on the one hand, there's differences between the countries in terms of uh, housing problems, but uh, there's also great similarities. Regardless if you live in, in Ireland, Sweden, Spain, Greece, there are big groups facing problems in affording adequate housing. And often these differences are based on where you live in the country rather than in which country you live. So for instance, mm -hmm. if you live in a capital city, you are more likely to face problems. If you have a low income, uh, you're more likely to face problems. And in some ways, there's more similarities between low income groups living in these countries uh, and high income groups living in these countries than between the countries mm. as such. So somebody with a low income in capital uh, city has a large problem anywhere in Europe. Okay, so we're not really seeing a huge difference in terms of member states who are succeeding in this area of housing as against those who have a perennial problem in this area. No, no. Well, there are, of course, member states faring better on some certain dimensions and member states faring worse on average. Uh, but in general, uh, there are large groups facing different types of, of housing problems in all the member states. Mm. But there are big differences in, in the general landscape in these, uh, in these different member states. So for instance, whether uh, many of the problems relate to whether you own a home or you rent a home. And for instance, ownership, it's much less common in some countries than in others. For instance, the countries with the highest ownership rates are actually post-communist or Southern European countries. Uh, and these are owners without mortgages. Uh, uh, that sounds like good news. They don't have rent payments. Mm. They don't have uh, mortgage payments. But many of them actually live in poverty, uh, have low incomes and face utility bills, which we also count among housing costs. Okay. So they own their house, but they can't pay the bills. Exactly. And then you have on the other side countries where it's really common to rent your accommodation, like uh, Germany, Austria. 
And you have countries where people own their home, but with a mortgage, uh, Sweden, Netherlands, uh, there it's most common in Europe to have a large mortgage. The problems differ a bit between countries, but there are groups in all types of tenure in each of the countries which face large housing problems. So in the looking at it from, from a distance, would you say that we're talking about issues which are primarily primarily access to housing, to adequate housing? Is it about the affordability of that housing? Is it about the quality of the housing? Or is it a mix of all in different member states? In the report, we distinguish between four types of uh, problems. The first one is indeed uh, access to housing at all. So uh, housing exclusion that captures homeless, but also young people who cannot afford leaving the parental home. But we also look at groups who do have access to housing, but face housing insecurity. So many people find it rather likely, or at least not very unlikely, that they would need to leave their home within the next three months. And that's by far largest among private renters, or renters on the private market. So that's housing insecurity. Then we also look at the third group of problems, which is, yes, people are kind of secure in their home, they have a home in the first place, but face housing costs, which cause them that they cannot make ends meet. Mm -hmm. So they, uh, they face problems in covering all their needs because of high housing costs. And then the fourth group, which you, you were referring mm -hmm. to quality, well, housing adequacy, more generally, that is a fourth group of problems which relate to affordability, of course, all of mm. these four problems. And if we were to talk kind of data and percentages, um, you spoke about the post-communist countries being kind of the biggest uh, homeowners in, in the European Union and other uh, former member states or earlier member states who are perhaps stronger in the, in the rental market. Can you give us some statistics which give us an idea of what we're talking about there? If we were to look at some of those post-communist countries and uh, home ownership, what percentage are we talking vis-a-vis -vis rental and vice versa? Yeah. In the EU overall, it's by far more common to own your home uh, than to rent your home. It's uh, Germany has the highest rate of renters, uh, but that's half. So half of the population rents and the other half uh, owns their home. On the other side of the spectrum are countries like Romania, where almost everybody owns their home, basically without a mortgage. And then there's some countries where ownership is rather common, like in Netherlands or Denmark, but yeah, you usually the bank owns <laughs> the, the yeah. house because the, uh, the mortgages are rather high. So uh, yeah, it's on, on this spectrum, but in general in the EU, home ownership is the most common. However, it has decreased over the past uh, years. And how much is it decreased by? If you look at the average, it doesn't sound so much. It's one percent point. But uh, over a decade, on uh, such a change in such a statistic, it is rather rather large, and it's particularly large among younger people. And when we talk about the younger Europeans that are staying at home or are being forced to stay at home, can you give me an idea of the kind of consequences we see that having for for not only for them but for society at large? That would likely postpone decisions such as forming uh, a family uh, with um, a possible uh, impact on demography, fertility. Naturally, it uh, contributes negatively to quality of life because uh, it doesn't match the preferences of many of these um, people. I, I have to be clear here, we don't compare absolute proportions between countries because mm -hmm. there's big cultural differences in, in how long 
it is uh, it feels good to stay mm -hmm. with your parents let's say but we do look at changes in time and there you see huge increases in spain um in uh, in uh, italy and that's and we look also have some national information on the reasons for that and that's really unaffordability of of housing options so that also consequence in terms of social cohesion it may create uh, inequalities between generations you see the, the ownership gap also for instance between young people and old people increasing in europe yeah in the longer term uh, the fact that younger people are less likely to buy a home may have consequences for the for their retirement as well because uh, at the moment many people pay off their mortgages own a home without the mortgages when they are older uh, but in the future that may not be the case anymore so people pay keep need to keep on paying rent that's no problem if income is enough but otherwise it can be a problem so there's longer term uh, worries and Hans what is being done across the European Union and the different member states to address this issue Yes, well, in terms of housing affordability, generally, because I need to emphasize it's not only young people who are facing these problems. There's uh, people in all uh, age groups facing um, housing and affordability problems. You have uh, lots of rent subsidy schemes. We map them in the report. You have uh, social housing options. In some countries, uh, these are really focused on people with the lowest income and they protect them we see in the report rather well against problems in terms of adequacy but also in terms of uh, security uh, utility uh, arrears you see that uh, yes uh, these are common in also in social housing these problems but if you look at low income groups in other types of tenure they have more problems so but in some countries social housing also covers people with a bit higher incomes like in countries like uh, Austria and um, the Netherlands, there's a large, relatively large social housing stock. So um, that's being done. So you have the rent subsidies, social housing. You also have ownership supports, many of them mortgage support for younger people. Specifically, if you live in an area which um, is seen as uh, yeah, needing some development, uh, you get more support. All these type of housing support measures come with problems uh, so we see with ownership support usually it benefits those people who anyways would have been able to buy a home they they may buy a larger home or they would buy it earlier you uh, it drives up prices as well and that's uh, the same with rent subsidies so there's there's challenges there in um, in addressing it um, of course they are important for the people who are receiving it but they also uh, come with challenges in terms of social housing there's huge waiting lists even in countries where you have a large social housing stock so there's certainly access problems and uh, often it's the most difficult for people on the waiting list who are entitled to social housing are usually younger than the people who are already in social housing so there's problems in accessing that as well and at EU level what kind of initiatives have been introduced to offset the various issues associated with the housing crisis you have the European pillar of social rights uh, which has some triggered some very uh, good initiatives on um, uh, on addressing homelessness as well uh, most recently and yeah the idea is to also to prevent evictions and to in case an eviction takes place to uh, facilitate the transfer to a more affordable home but there's also a lot of money from the, the european green deal 
going into housing, so improving the quality of housing. And when you when you talk about the quality of housing, what kind of elements are we talking about? What are the key concerns in terms of quality housing? Yeah, so first of all, I think it's, it's important to note that that's another dimension on which countries actually uh, differ a lot, and that's whether people live in apartments mm. or homes. And here you see that, um, that in countries like Ireland, but also Croatia, the proportion of people who live in a home is really high, like uh, nine out of uh, 10 people live in a home, more or less. Um, well, in other countries, Spain and all the Baltic states, there are uh, around one third of people live in a, in a house and the rest in, the, in an apartment. So uh, there is big, big differences in Europe in that, and that has consequences for adequacy because uh, you have different problems if you live in a house than if you live in an apartment. And one of these differences is noise, for instance. Now, if you think about the Green Deal, you immediately think about, about um, bad insulation, uh, so uh, low energy efficiency. And indeed, when you ask Europeans about problems they face in their dwelling, uh, mo of the problems we asked for, most indicated that they have a um, problem in terms of inadequate insulation. Uh, so we also looked into looked at the teleworkability of the home. So problems or the importance of these aspects of the home changed over the pandemic. And you see that, for instance, uh, interestingly, having a balcony or a garden uh, became much more important uh, over the pandemic, as well as a good internet connection, of course. But And having a balcony or a garden, that's... Uh, less of a problem if you uh, often if you live in a house than if you live in an apartment. It's important not to too narrowly look only at the home. You can look, live in a quite nice home, but if your neighborhood is not good, that may be um, uh, not enough. So, and we also see that aspects of the neighborhood, importantly access to public transport, for instance, uh, are very uh, problematic in particular in rural areas. I suppose a key question is: Are we treating? the outcome rather than the causes and if i were to say to you you know the primary reasons for these you know spiraling rents and and house prices uh and and this lack of availability and quality of housing do we know what they are have have they been researched and should we be spending more time tackling the base of the problem rather than the result Indeed, the long-term solution would be to increase the housing stock, but it's not enough just to think about building homes. There's a lot of empty dwellings across many countries, so it would be tempting to say that these need to be discouraged, but actually in many countries the quality of this empty housing is not so good. So that would need to be improved uh, simultaneously. At the same time, it's not just about building housing or about renovating housing. If you have empty housing in a, or you build housing in an area where you cannot get to employment, cannot get to, uh, to healthcare, cannot get to shops, um, it's not so useful. It wouldn't solve the situation because then, again, people would look for homes in other areas uh, with uh, high prices as a consequence. So uh, it's important also to connect these houses well to services. But but Hans, is that not something that we should be seeing as a no-brainer in the sense that we have a twin transition of uh, digitalization and climate change? We know that that's going to impact on the way we live and work. We know already that people can remote work from places which are extremely remote. 
We know also that we can access public services in a different, more digitalized way. We know that uh, people are moving from the capitals often to more regional areas for quality of life and affordability reasons, but also maybe family and others. So we know these are processes which are in train. We also know that they're probably going to accelerate rather than slow down. So should we be spending more time looking at options to try and optimise what is available in, uh, in these transitions, rather than, as you say, looking at the tried and tested option of moving more and more people into conglomerates where they can supposedly access these services easier? Absolutely. It's a very good point. It's uh, two things. F first of all, it's interesting to see that in general, there's an increase happening in people living in flats, actually. But that's not happening inside cities or in rural areas. That's happening in towns and in suburbs. Now, the idea is always that there's urban sprawling going on. So people living, moving to suburbs to have a large family home, mm -hmm. etc. But actually what we see in Europe is not that. It's that people go and live to suburbs and towns in apartments, which probably means that they're, uh, they're unable to afford uh, living closer to the city center uh, in many of these cases. You also see that in some places, so we mapped it a bit in the report, that in some countries you see a clear move of people leaving the main cities. Uh, However, still, the vast majority of people live in, uh, in cities and there's not been a very big change in that. However, I, uh, there's huge opportunities in, indeed if, if digitalization is taken up in the way that would be good and that one may expect, then this could indeed very much facilitate uh, some solving some of the problems in terms of housing. Uh, and uh, the same with the green transition. Um, there's a huge amount of funds being available now. If we channel them into the right places and the right activities and initiatives, exactly. we could see some return yeah. uh, from that. Because I suppose another thing which I find is interconnected and also touches on many of the other podcasts we've had on different topics. Um, are, are we seeing a level of inequality in the area of housing. I mean, we've already talked about young people being locked out of the market to some degree. I suppose to some other degree, uh, older people are finding themselves more vulnerable in, in certain cases than they were before. Uh, is the squeeze middle even more squeezed than it was before when it comes to housing? Or, or do you feel that we're seeing different inequalities emerging in this particular crisis of housing? Well, I think the, the squeezed middle is an important one to highlight. There's a lot of support available, but it almost all have income thresholds, which very often are fixed. And not in Poland, not in Germany, not in the Netherlands. There are gradual thresholds to be entitled to rent subsidies, for instance. When there are these fixed thresholds, which is mostly the case, if you earn a bit too much, you're not entitled to anything. Uh, so these are often people who face large problems uh, or not entitled to social housing. Uh, so there are some solutions for Poland or Italy, for instance, for people who earn a little bit too much to uh, mm. be entitled to social housing, uh, but too, too little to afford a decent housing. But this is certainly a group which faces problems and uh, a large part of them is renting on the private market, which anyways uh, is a, yeah, a group in, in a vulnerable situation on many regards. You mentioned older people. 
during COVID, uh, all Europeans had a little bit of a snapshot of what life will be when they're older, because usually older people spend much more time at home and in the local area. So it is not surprising that all dimensions of the home and of the local area became more important since COVID, as we show in the report. So in general, improving the quality of the home with this aging population in mind should be a key priority, I think. And they should be integrated in, in the way the green transition funds are spent because there will be large amounts of, of retrofitting finding place. Well, you, if you do anyways, these big renovations, it sometimes takes little effort to also improve quality of the house more broadly. Mm. That will be a, a lost opportunity if that's not, not taken. Are we seeing any light at the end of the horizon? Well, I think yes. And I think part of that light comes from the green transition. Uh, it is very clear that Europe and from the European Pillar of Social Rights, it's very clear that Europe realized that uh, there's a big problem which needs a large solution and that part of that solution is coming from the EU funds and policy emphasis, which at the moment yeah, is, is larger than it has been ever in the past. So, Is there enough prioritization being given to this issue? The persons for whom it's failing most are the homeless. Uh, if you look at the, uh, so we looked at data for some of the member states, it's a very small proportions, like 0.2% of the population often, so it would be easily solvable. And there's very good examples of how to solve it. Um, housing first, so first providing housing to people and then providing services, which they may need and not making the housing dependent on the services. It's a very small group, uh, but it's relatively easy to solve because it's such a small group. And Finland showed that uh, Finland implemented the housing first approach and has reduced effectively homelessness. It's the most evaluated policy measures I've ever, ever seen. Like we map housing first policies, small, very often in the member states, like pilots, experiments, but they all have been evaluated basically. And they've all very good results in terms of people who enter housing first do not leave it anymore. So, so Finland would, be, would be seen as, as a, a best case scenario, yes, a leader in the field of dealing with the housing crisis. Yeah, in, in terms of dealing with homelessness. And, um, uh, and that's, I think, the group where, where Europe is failing mm. very clearly. Uh, and um, there's a way to solve it. Housing first, uh, it's proven by so many policy evaluations. So a lot needs to come from the member states because the competence of the European Union is only so far in terms of housing. Mm. But this is something where I'm really wondering there is a way to solve it. And it's, um, it's a relatively small group. So that should be stepped up in the, in the member states where there's small pilots going on. Capacity of housing first could solve a large part of the homelessness problem. Okay, well, maybe that leads us to, to the close. It's, it's again, it's a fairly dismal picture. I have to say that you, you paint of both um, the access and affordability uh, quality uh, of housing, but also the picture of what you call there a relatively small percentage. But of course, that percentage operates in a very different way when you translate that to human lives and individuals who are homeless and have no access to housing whatsoever. You could use this, this period of the podcast at the end of each one. I would ask you to address your thoughts and your expertise in a way that you were discussing with a policymaker. Uh, talk to me in three. 
So we have housing insecurity, people who are afraid of losing their homes. There are cases in uh, Europe where you can learn from in preventing that people are evicted. For instance, in Sweden, if an eviction notice is issued, automatically support is triggered. So that is a clear way in which most of the evictions can be prevented, where people move to a more affordable mm. dwelling or they can stay in their home. Uh, of course, that's not ideal because it's better to prevent these problems. Um, and that can be because there's also examples from Vienna, from Amsterdam, where such support is already triggered at an earlier stage when arrears emerge from utility arrears or rent arrears. So that's one. Uh, it's good to, uh, to focus more on prevention uh, of, um, of evictions. But also, green transition is good to use these funds for more broadly improving the quality of the housing, but yes, importantly, to improve energy efficiency. That also has implications for the affordability of housing, because if people don't need to, uh, if people have better insulated homes, they don't need to spend so much on utilities, so they have more money available and other things. The problem is that such measures often do not reach people with low incomes. Uh, who live in social housing or are private tenants. So the lesser needs to be incentivized along with benefits for the tenant. So that's another thing. The, then I think it's important when you look at data, you tend to look at the past. I think it's also very important to look into the future. Uh, interest rates are on the increase. They have increased a lot in, in a very short time. So people with large mortgages and variable interest rates they face sudden increases in monthly costs. Now, there's big differences in countries uh, in terms of how common variable interest rates are. Like in Poland, uh, almost everybody has a variable interest rates. In Belgium, almost nobody. So this is something where countries can learn from maybe. But, uh, but this, this increasing interest rates in combination with increased cost of living cause, can cause problems for a group which so far had been in a pretty good position, people with mortgages. Okay, thank you, uh, Hans. I think the last three points that you make show how important it is, is to have a targeted, customized approach to this in many ways, because there you're talking about the green transition and access to the incentives and subsidies which are available for that, but that they need to be targeted in different ways to different groups for them to really make a difference. Also, in terms of the housing insecurity, you're talking there about prevention of evictions. So that's, again, looking at the reasons and the rationale behind those evictions and trying to target in advance in a, in a customized way. And the third one about interest rates is also very fundamental because there you're looking at people who are safe, relatively safe at the moment. They may be pressed, but they're relatively safe, but change that even a little bit more into the future. And we could be looking at a very different uh, situation for that cohort. So uh, thank you very much for that. Thank you for your um, wide scale expertise on this topic, which is so important at this stage on on the policy agenda. And as you know, uh, Eurofan talks many subjects. There are, of course, other titles that you can look at in terms of the work we've done on sustainable work, on gender equality, work-life balance. Uh, there's a range on our Eurofan Talks podcast series. You are welcome to download them uh, wherever you get your podcasts and also to follow us on social media and on our website. So until next time, when Eurofan talks to you. Good jobs, quality jobs. We still have so much to do for women's rights. For the parents to go to work, you need good childcare. We will not have a successful recovery 
if we leave social rights. Reinventing our way of building and living. It is our right 